Hello, and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most triumvirate work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are joined by our very special guests from the community, Dawn and Kippos. Welcome, folks. Hello. Hey. Um, we're all here to discuss, or should I say, reflect on, uh, Out on a Limb, <laughs> Arc 3 of Pale. So... I guess we I mean, that from... pun's already in the title of the episode. I don't feel no, like you needed to make I it. I just either. came up with it just then. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's get into it, I guess. Uh, so uh, just as a quick reminder, what happened in Arc 3? Well, it started with 3.1, where Verona and Lucy uh, were scrambling after Nicolette has stolen Snowdrop and Avery away, and uh, Miss makes the ultimate sacrifice. Ah, uh, yeah. And then we jumped into the interview notes two uh which basically took us through all the others that we interviewed in arc two uh which was alpi the fairy the goblins and uh also miss was in there and then there was a sad little bye miss uh then lucy and verna chat with melissa before everyone heads out and negotiates with the belanges everyone wins except nicolette <laughs> um then in 3.3 3, we get back into uh, avery's head so we have this big disconnect here uh, minus slightly longer than everybody else's reflections so far um we have a bit of a disconnect with her civilian life and her practitioner life as she's like using the practice against her siblings again, mm. um, this time with the rope, which was, you know, a little bit uh, worrying. Uh, but then it was she so cool her... though, right? Like oh, it, it was, was worrying, <laughs> yes, but also so cool. So it's probably fine. Yeah. I mean, How it was really did cool. you wish you could do that to your sibling? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Look, all right. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to do it? But also, I mean, come on. Um, uh, yeah. then she has a bit of a bit of a freak out with, um, Grumble yelling at the TV, which was uh, very worrying. Um, and then they all go to school again, which I remember being horrified at that she was actually going to school and not just <laughs> taking the freaking day off. Um, yeah, take it. Yeah, down. like at least a day. Uh, of course, we we get uh, some more Snowdrop, who is the best character ever. Um, and yeah, then they go spy on some others. Uh, yes. Um, then we jump into the bonus material timelines, which gives us a calendar that just kind of sums up what time everything happened in the story, which is nice. Also, it's got some great doodles by Avery, which is always a treat. Uh, yeah. And then, then we went into 3.4, which was where Lucy got invited to a party. Um, and we got that great sort of biology slash gardening metaphor for life uh, before everyone went off to interview Matthew. And this is where Lucy sort of figures out the connection between Yolda and the Hungry Choir. In 3.5, Avery fails her stealth role while spying on John before heading back to help the others finishing the interview with Matthew and Edith. Things get heated, and the night is called early. Avery goes back and hugs her trashy hobo child. Um, then we have another nice little bonus bit, which is the gifts received, which is uh, a neat little checklist of all the gifts that Kennetiers have received. Uh, again, really incredibly helpful um, to be reminded of exactly what they have, uh, and some awesome illustrations. Yep. Um... And then we uh, have Verona, in, in 3.6, we have Verona hanging out with her dad, uh, which obviously goes to shit, who could have suspected, um, before uh, she goes off uh, and starts tracking down Brie, uh, who was the uh, the footless woman uh, in the THC ritual a few, a few nights ago. Um, so she meets up with Avery, and the two kind of connect up before getting into a fight with Zed. Uh, yep, and so then the, the next day, uh, Lucy and Verona are sort of, stalking the the local bnb to see if Bree's going to show up again uh rowan shows up and they decide to dunk on him instead for being useless uh and then they all head to a meeting with all of the candidate others uh who also don't really feel like doing anything uh, today <laughs> um then we have 
the bonus material confiscated items where we get a very stylish look at the charmed items Bree had on her when she was captured. And then we are back into 3.8 and we get a really cool look at um, another beat of the wealth disparity in Kennet, which I thought was really uh, awesome and interesting to look at. Um, and we see the girls planning on how to fight the local others, which is uh, very much becoming more of a practitioner in line with the Blue Heron Institute uh, practitioners rather than, you know, what the others would actually want from them. Um, mm. Of course, they, they think they're doing pretty well, but they underestimate the goblins. And Avery gets a screwdriver, like, stab in the arm, which is horrible. Um, I noticed in this one there was some really cool foreshadowing as well with uh, Bree chomping down into one of the goblins, which would be, just be disgusting. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. when that was the worst thing she did? Yeah, she just, that. like, <laughs> yeah, it was really gross. Like, just chomped right into him and just kept on going. Um, and so we get um, uh, Gilherm's. I, I don't know if anybody else noted this. I mean, I assume most people did, but like when they came out from under the bridge and they walk out into like, you know, very bright sun, I was immediately like, oh God, Gilham's there. Oh, run away. <laughs> um, and he has a really cool fight, a really cool uh, little mock fight with Lucy, uh, which lets the others go and meet Zed. Um, Lucy attempts some really neat practice shenanigans and like she's changing the form of her pen, which she, you know, hadn't done. Um, and she tries to like, counter Gilhem's like the fact that he hasn't given a gift but i mean he's a fairy so it didn't matter he just completely got past it um yeah i don't think i think we talked enough about how she had a like a pen spear that kept leaking blue mm. which is just like such a cool piece yeah of and then she transformed it into both a fan and a short sword in that fight and was like actively swapping yeah. between the forms which she's never done before like all we saw before this was like, you know, a can is naturally going to want to go into a gun, for example. Mm. Whereas here she's yeah, very cool. actively swapping. It was really cool. Um, and yeah, we find out why um, Gilhomes in Kennet. Uh, and it's very high summer, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then we get into 3.9. Avery uh, does some shopping, does some glamour. And then uh, they, the trio visits Louise to do their final interview. And all the clues start to kind of click into place. Uh, yep, then uh, just before we dived into the interlude, we had the Sunny Day Logs, which was uh, our look at Zed breaking past Ray's uh, Snow White-based security before uh, kind of giving us an outline for his plan to take out the Hungry Choir. And then in 3.Z, we wrap up with Zed and Bree going on a road trip to visit friends, but Bree eats too much. Classic. Eats too much on a road <laughs> trip. Classic story. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess... Uh, the... <sighs> What what did what did everybody think of Arc Three? What were the things that jumped out to people? I mean, I loved it. Like Arc Three was was amazing. I really love where the story's going. Yeah, it's just been tons of fun. Yeah, because we sort of like we open with Miss mm. sort of going, and that you, you know, like that that could have been the end of the previous mm. arc, but I think it's kind of instead it's the opening of this one because that's sort of the catalyst for all the rest of the shit that kind of starts to happen between the Kenneteers and the Kenner others in this yeah. arc. Yeah, you're right. That really is, it kind of defines what's going to happen in the arc in a way that you don't really realize at the start. But this arc really is just about the degradation of the relationships between the trio and the and the, the Kennedy others. Yeah, it's really mm. rough. Um, really rough to read that stuff. I feel like arc two is where Pale came into its own for me, but three definitely uh, continues the trend and, like you were saying, uh, reframes the conflict from more about the investigation into the Carmine Beast into who can we trust. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it was just it, I, like it was so funny because I don't think I ever trusted Miss until like she sacrificed herself, and then it was like, wait, 
now we're really screwed. <laughs> yep. Because like I didn't I didn't realize I could trust her, but also now she's gone and she was the person holding this shit together. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So it's that sort of classic wild bow. But wait, it can get worse. <laughs> it's yeah, interesting definitely. to me. As we now round out on like starting to have key suspects again and starting to like dive into the the explanation of the mystery, I've realized that I've just completely written Miss Off as a suspect, but that's not necessarily correct, right? Like, is this just the biggest con of all time and Miss is actually behind it all? Ooh. I keep having that thought, but I can't figure out a way to go with it. Like, mm. I don't know where I would, like, I can't draw mm. the line from motive means or opportunity there. Um, but when you say, uh, it can always get worse. Uh, that I don't know what it is about Pale. Maybe it's the reputation that Pact has. But I did not walk into this, or, or just having read Parahumans, I did not walk into this with any expectation that we'd ever hit rock bottom or ever could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think reading Walbo works is a continual exercise in me reevaluating what rock bottom is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep think- yeah. I keep thinking we're there, and then it turns out we're not. Yeah, as someone who's read all of them, um, yeah. Basically, yes. It, it can always get worse. Don't worry. Um, yeah. Well, I guess what did did you two? Um, as I guess what I would I would clar- classify you guys as normal people reading the story. Normal. <laughs> Good way to phrase it, Elliot. <laughs> uh, what are, what are sort of some of your thoughts uh, as we've been sort of moving through this stuff? Um, well, I, I I mean I just want to make a quick note that I because I've been live reading this um, this story over on the Doof Discord. Um, and I called it in my 1.1 live read that Verona's dad is a piece of shit. And I have been continuously, <laughs> continuously uh, validated by this. Um, yeah. Um, oh, also, we've got and- a redemption arc coming in, I reckon. Oh. <laughs> Verona's dad redemption arc, I'm, I'm calling it. It's a, it's a long hill to climb. <laughs> I do think it's really interesting that you can see, like, what he was like before the divorce, you know? Yeah. Um like when he was like a functioning human being and he was clearly like all right better like he was fine that's the worst part about it though right is is yeah. you see these flashes of like and in this i can't remember exactly which chapter it is i think it's 3.6 maybe um you get these moments of like oh shit maybe there's going to be you know oh maybe it's suddenly going to start to turn around maybe it's finally oh, finally going to start to turn around and it doesn't every uh, time it's so fucking frustrating I, yeah that one hurts so much mm-hmm. the thing that really irks me about him is like i can't help but pity him more than i hate him like i don't just i i don't just hate him i just sort of look at him and i just want him to get help as much as i want him to change yeah agree yeah i mean there's yeah, there's a ton of pity uh, for him, but also he. Oh God, just get Verona away from him, like just yes. as soon as possible. <laughs> like get her away. Oh my God, that is the most important thing. Oh. Also, I think I think this arc is is really like the snowdrop arc. Honestly, like mm. you know, hot take here, but she's the best. Um, she's made the entire <laughs> story a million times better, and everybody loves her. That's a very um, unique opinion. I said it's a support hot your bravery <laughs> for saying that. I've not read Pacts and I've only a little bit into Twig, but she's my favorite wild bow character. She's just so she's fun. so good. Like it's just such a simple concept, the idea that she just says the opposite of what she means, but it just it consistently works and is so it's, fun. Yeah. Every single point where she talks, I am just loving it. 
Um, what I love is that the opposite can be taken in so many different directions. So A, it's a little bit of a puzzle. Sometimes we are just like, this doesn't immediately jump to mind. What did she mean? And also mm. uh, there's multiple, like you can jump to the most wholesome or the most snarky or whatever <laughs> you want her to be acting like in that time. So she just like, yeah, she really is amazing. Yeah. 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 You're right. Like I think, Obviously, she was introduced right at the end of the last arc, but uh, this is really the one where she steps up. Something that I've yeah. found interesting about Snowdrop is in a story where, you know, like stopping and, and noticing the wording that everyone uses is so important, right? Snowdrop mm-hmm. is such an interesting tool for like forcing you to slow down when you're reading it because you can't Absolutely. just like read through and, and understand what's going on. You kind of have to... Every time I read a chapter and Snowdrop says something, I have to stop and be like, wait, hold on. And like take, you know, that mental half a second to process it. And because of yeah. that, I yeah. feel like I'm paying so much more attention to to things on like you just feel like you're stopping and, and actually digesting things more. So I I really like how well Snowdrop acts as this device in in the story as well. It's great. Yeah, a minute ago you were asking how is it reading the story normally? I got like a a few arcs into live reading twig so to have some idea of what you're doing and it's just so much work but you get so much more out of it like you catch all these things and i feel like i'm just missing everything without having uh your insight here mm. yeah. yeah there's definitely been discrepancies like when i live read something the first time and then i sit down to read it the second time and i'm like oh i i totally misunderstood this this little section here mm-hmm. Um, whether it's something Snowdrop says or, or something else that's going on, um, yeah, because it's definitely I, I definitely sometimes Snowdrop says something and I'm like, what do you mean? And then half a second later, oh no, wait, uh, yeah, she meant the opposite. Okay, no, this is fine. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. Look, honestly, we everybody loves Snowdrop. She's so good. <laughs> um, so something else that that happened over the course of this chapter is we, as we started to move away from the Kennet others, we kind of learned a bit more about some of the other practitioners in town, right? Obviously, we got some Belanger stuff and we got some uh, other Blue Heron Institute stuff, I guess I'll say. Um, yeah. How, how is everyone vibing just on the other practitioners that are seeming to become major characters in this story so far? Um, did you use the word vibing? Because... It's Zed, like Zed's the main yeah, one. I'm, like, I'm trying to become more like Zed in my day-to-day life. Oh, I guess. God. Uh, can I just request that you don't do that? Because, <laughs> like, he's a great character. Like, don't get me wrong, he's fantastic. But, oh, God. Like, yeah. he, he literally dresses like a greaser. Like, he calls it timeless, <laughs> but he's dressed like a greaser. Like, come on, dude. I, I love that discrepancy, like, when we were in Zed's head in 3, in 3.Z, and he's like, oh, you know, I, I dress in this way and it's, you know, totally timeless. But when we were first introduced to him, I think it was in Lucy's perspective, and she was like, what the fuck is this guy wearing? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, timeless. I love that he had a power glove as well. Like, it's so yeah. painfully retro. It hurts so much. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so upset we didn't get to see what it does. Oh, I know, right? Like it's clearly a weapon with power. I think, obviously, <laughs> you know, you know what the best answer is. It just, I, it, it's not actually. Multiple, <laughs> it's just part of his outfit. <laughs> oh god, I, I hate it so much. All right, I admit, <laughs> what is a power glove? Oh no, um, <laughs> there, it was like a, it was like a Nintendo Entertainment System accessory, uh-huh. and so it had like a D pad and some buttons on the glove. 
and I've never actually used it. I don't know what else it did, but like it was like a fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! Jewel disc. I was just but... thinking it was like a Yu-Gi-Oh! Jewel disc. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking of as an analogy. Which now that we've both said it makes me think I would love to see a Technomancer wearing a fucking jewel disc. Can you imagine? Oh, God. <laughs> it's time to practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be... uh, I'm just you've made me think about how that would work like within yeah the I, world I place of, my tarot card in face down defense position oh, and i feel like that would work oh that's so horrible i summon this other yeah yeah exactly you take your others and you bind them in trading cards <laughs> oh my god i mean it's basically so pokemon we've already covered oh that god. with uh, the explicit <laughs> yeah, lampshading of that with john right yeah yes exactly oh classic anyway so yes it's pretty good <laughs> Imagine getting like a cursed. Uh, imagine getting like a cursed Pokemon cartridge, and you like you go to the PC oh, in the game, and there's some like other in there. There's probably already creepy. No, there is. It's the like the haunted lavender town creepy pasta. Oh, anyway, I think I've oh, read that yeah. one. Yeah, it's been a long time. Creepy pasta is weird. I did kind of want to point out that because um, we three we see in three point Z, um like practitioners engaging with the hungry choir. And I just kind of wanted to point out like, just like how, how stuffed these people are now. Like, like the first thing they say basically is a lie because they say how glad we are to dine. Like mm. I don't believe for even a, you know, a millionth of a <laughs> second that they're glad to be caught in this ritual and dining. Like, come on. Isn't Bree the only one who got stuffed? <laughs> mm. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, wow. Is stuffed Aussie slang? Maybe, maybe we're running into an Aussie. Maybe. Yeah. Stuffed as in... Yeah, spirit. that might also be Aussie slang, actually. Oh, uh, I'm going down a rabbit hole yeah. here. Um, uh, in yes, trouble. They, are, they are in trouble with the words that they have said. Like, gotcha. they'll come to the table every night this moon, which is very ambiguous. I wouldn't know yeah, what that, that means. That just means they're going to eat dinner. I don't know. They'll like, come what, to wait, a table. What table? <laughs> yeah, what, what table? Uh, yeah. w- what's this moon? Like, is that just one cycle of the moon? Or I don't even know. I think it's explicitly not, right? Late. Yeah. Like, they said that the moon phases are off of what they should be, so I think, like, this moon is, like, this wandering off moon. Mm. Oh, I don't, yeah. oh, I don't even know. And, of course, now um, Zed and the others that sang these lines will uh, never, I can't pronounce that, never, uh, again find themselves picking up a spoon, a fork, nor a blade, nor a plate, nor a cup. So, like... Did they actually sing that? Yeah, part? they sang that. Like, <laughs> I went through 3.Z earlier. Oh, man. And brought out all of the parts that um, that Zed sang that I thought were like, oh god, that's a mistake. It's just everyone sporks, sang every word, minus like three exceptions where they they called out that someone messed something up. But otherwise, yeah. everyone sang every word. We did we did call out in our last episode the the lines that Zed skipped and how bad those would be. But uh, I mean, now that you've brought this list of ones they didn't yeah. skip, out, <laughs> yeah, like concerning, and they'll have to stay full and supped and sated since this tune so after they're finished singing they have to be full and supped and sated at all times otherwise that's a lie I mean, yeah like i wonder if yeah like I, I wonder whether they can argue that they didn't mean forever oh, it's, it's like, interesting. I guess, we don't know enough about the intricacies of arguing this stuff i suppose because yeah. it's not like it's not like there was any big like you know we, we heard that when someone gets forsworn there's like a crackle of thunder right unless you're like explicitly forsworn by another person that's present um and obviously that didn't happen so i wonder if there is a like if they've passed the statute of limitations on it theoretically or something well, you know? 
I thought that was for like major oaths. Like, for example, if you're like, you will always be yeah, safe in my true. home, and then you you fuck that up with Charles, <laughs> like that's when you get a crack of thunder. But yeah. it's like if you have a small white lie, that's not going to make you forsworn, is my understanding. Yeah, I remember uh, Alpiana. Uh, oh god, I can't say these names. Alpi, um, talking to Lucy and saying that Lucy had made like several white lies. You know, I mm. feel like this is probably in a similar uh, in a similar thing. Yeah. So possibly a power. Presumably, hit, just doesn't. A, yeah. 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 Minor um, oaths feels good. Yeah. Also, they said they they're not going to miss a single beat, and they shall not miss a single word. And then Zed Rip. very specifically chose not to sing certain words. Like, come on, dude, that, that's probably not a great idea. Although, isn't isn't part of it as well like whether someone calls you out on it to some degree? Like, I I can't remember. I think that's if there like, is a person to call you out. If there is no right. one, I think that responsibility is the universe's or something. Mm. So maybe, like, uh, I don't know, Alex Belanger, for example, now has power over the other, uh, you know, seven people that, that were, that were oh, at that ritual. He wouldn't, he wouldn't hold that. No, I'm sure he's charitable. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> I would think it'd be Yalda who now has that power to call them Forsworn. Because she mm. was the one, like, as mm. the Hungry Choir. Yeah, who made them, them swear oaths. the oaths, yeah. So does that mean, does that mean now Bree has exactly it. Bree has that power now? <laughs> and by yeah, by the power oh, of transference, when one practitioner <laughs> eats another, they gain all their karmic debts, <laughs> and that's just how it works. <laughs> I mean, I think this is. <laughs> I hope this is an edge case. <laughs> it's somewhat of a, a metaphor analogy. I don't know. Like she didn't literally just eat her; she absorbed her power as well. Yeah. Yeah. She also did yeah. literally just eat. Yeah, she did both. <laughs> but it was very literal, literal like the transference of, of meat and gristle. It was like her power, her otherness yeah. got mm. assumed. Assumed. Waiting for a chance to bust that out. <laughs> um, yeah, they they also swore that on these nights uh, they shan't fail to take a bite. And like, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't see zed eat anything that night mm. before or after saying this so like I, I mean i'm just saying like these are a lot of little oats they were talking about going to get fast food after <laughs> so maybe that's it yeah I, i'm willing to trust that these this group of practitioners is smart enough to have done that off screen i suppose because <laughs> yeah otherwise they'd be in a whole heap of trouble yeah Bree certainly ate so she's just building up that karmic dominant <laughs> <laughs> What do you think Brie is going to oh, be Brie. like now? Like, okay, so she's clearly... Because well, they're talking about awakening her, Yeah, right? like, okay, uh, because the point I want to call out here is, obviously, um, Yolda was very powerful in the terms that she was able to pretty Extremely. effectively take down these practitioners, right? She was clearly high tier. Um, and we know yeah. that, for example, the, the Kenneteers have been quite powerful just because they have the power of these powerful others behind them. So... Presumably that's the case with Brie too. She's just going to be like su a super powerful food wizard when she awakens. Because <laughs> I'm so on board for that. Well, I wonder, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to, to see how she goes as, as an awakened. Wait, does she get the hungry choirs? Wait, does she have to keep giving the Kennedys power? Mm. Like, oh, how much does she mm. inherit? That's mm, really true. interesting. Maybe she has to give a gift to the Kennedys. <laughs> the Hungry Choir never uh, gave in the ritual, nor gave them gifts, so I don't know what that looks like. Mm. Maybe she owes them, mm. yeah. But somehow, the car the Hungry Choir had gotten around what everyone else needed to do in that ritual. Yeah, but it was giving them power 
Did, did it have to? Was and it? Does Bree have to? I think that was called out by. What, was it explicitly giving her power? Yeah, I think Edith implied. That, yeah, I think Edith or Matthew. Okay. Yeah, Edith or Matthew said that, like you know, you're taking one percent of power from each other. Yeah, and considering I the hungry player the hungry is player. yeah, yeah. So actually, that's a good point. I suppose in arc four, they the three will presumably have taken a power hit. Mm. Well, um, unless they Bree not only is... did they use up, yeah, unless Bree is still giving it. To them. Yeah, yeah, but Bree's probably. Like, I think the Hungry Choir was generating more and more power, right? Whereas, like, if Bree isn't still generating stuff through the ritual, like, does she... she it'd be more like the hot lead, right? It'd mm. be like a battery. Mm. She's, although they promised Yolda the ritual would it's still It's been go. growing for a decade. She's probably got a fair amount of battery power. Yeah. And the fact that it was uh, powered by the war in Afghanistan is... Um, it's a big battery. Mm, yep. That's true. Actually, this discussion uh, has made it... Very interesting to me, just thinking about um, the Carmine Beast's power and what happens with that. Like, because if it, if it is true that like the Hungry Choir's power has kind of transferred to Brie in that way, and that she has to uphold those oaths, like, what would that mean for anyone that tries to take a chunk of the Carmine Beast's power? Are they then like automatically kind of subsumed into that role? Or yeah, I think they can make a strong case for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. good question though. Like, when you kill someone and take their stuff, how much? the responsibility do you take as well yeah um i I did want to i did want to do like the um the very classic like trans person thing and just say like zed as like a trans Mm. dude is really cool like just having like trans men are like really underrepresented in media so it's Mm. really really awesome to like even have one and yeah he's really really cool and i have been like ever since i finished pact years ago i don't remember when um i've been like hoping for you know, some kind of non-cis character, like a non-binary person or a trans person in this world. And like, it's so fascinating to me, like thinking about how they interact with the spirits and all of this other thing. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, like I agree. It, it, it's fantastic representation, especially because the spirits don't seem to mind. Like Zed introduces himself as Zed yeah, exactly. and, uh, as a guy and isn't getting called for sworn or anything. So like, that's sort of the, the universe and the story, like agreeing. That like, the universe that's how it officially is, is cool. supports trans rights, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At first, that was my read, and I was really happy with it. But then I saw someone point out that Zed is short for um, Zed's dead name, and so mm. I wonder if that's the only way Zed was able to get around this. So, like, at first, I was really encouraged, um, thinking that there's got to be a lot of symbolism, and like, uh, Zed is his true name, and so that is like. Uh, the universe recognizing of that, but if it's because only because it is a shortening of the dead name, that that sucks. Well, I th- I think actually, especially for any other trans people. Yeah, I think I think there's actually like some degree of like in universe um, stuff to show that that's kind of not how it is because we have like Gilham talking to Lucy or any other talking to Lucy, and they immediately go Lucille. You know, yeah. that's their default. Default true. is Lucille. True, true, and then they will go you know, at specific request, they will refer to her as Lucy. Whereas for Zed, like, it's just Zed, like, straight away. Everybody is just like, oh, look at Zed. Um, except for, you know, True. one absolute dickhead who is God a fucking chase. Damn it, chase, you yeah. fuck. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, but that's that's chase. That's Yeah, not, exactly. Like, that's not representative. Um, um, yeah, so I, yeah. I think it's it's quite interesting that, like, for, like, for someone that has declared their existence to be Lucille, like, that is the default, even when, you know, there is a shortened version of her name that she prefers to use 
like the default is just to go straight to Lucille. Um, whereas mm-hmm. for Zed, like the default seems to be Zed. So I'm just thinking like maybe he did like some kind of other like ritual or something, you know, to like to redefine his identity yeah, in the eyes of the Yeah, spirit. exactly. Which is mm. just really cool. Like that is so cool. I guess I like haven't made up my mind on whether this is definitive yet. I'd be interested to see another beat uh, supporting one or the other mm. here. Fair yeah, enough. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic that yeah, that that's sort of what's happening. Just because ah, I don't I almost want to go and check. There must be a a part where Zed introduced himself as a guy or something. Mm. And and whether that yeah, like that would sort of be evidence. I think I think it's also really interesting that all of the characters just you know use he him and everything like that is yeah Agreed. like in comparison to yeah. the awakening ritual where it's kind of a bit I don't yeah I don't know it's just it's really interesting to me um, that such that I really do think like he's gone and done some other ritual you know um, to redefine sort of a, a cosmic name change yeah equivalent yeah yes. that sounds awesome that <laughs> hopefully it involves less. <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- I'm assuming there's a trade-off. You trade off less paperwork for some other price that you presumably have to pay. God, yeah. Actually, you know what? There must be some sort of cosmic. Well, okay, because Rad Ray Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, no, that was Rad Ray's birth name. It's Rad Ray Radical Raymond Sunshine. Oh God. <laughs> Rad Ray to his friends, but um. Oh goodness. <laughs> oh. Let's <laughs> talk about more characters that are just painful to like watch. It's just ah. Oh. I had the opposite. I was immediately yeah. on board. I'm, I'm so in love with Red Ray. This guy gets it. <laughs> Finally, oh. somebody who who acts how I would act if I was a practitioner. Oh, which is, you know, doll myself up in ridiculous, <laughs> very ridiculous '80s throwbacks. Finally, someone with a proper wizard. Name. <laughs> oh, God. I just, I, I hate it because Technomancy sounds so cool. And then the two Technomancers we get are Rad fucking Ray Sunshine and Zed, who is like the 80s greaser. Like, ugh. Like, have yeah, some style. So Come cool. on. I don't, where's the, I don't understand. Where's the discrepancy? <laughs> I agree with all your facts, but not your conclusion. <laughs> it sounds like we're in agreement. Yeah. Uh. Um, I guess the, the, the common question that we've asked every, uh, guest that we've had on for our reflecting on episodes is, um, you know, we've got three main protagonists here. So of course the natural thing to do is rank them against each other. So I guess the question that that begs is <laughs> who's everyone's favorite of the trio. Oh, I mean, I couldn't rank them, but I like, I certainly have a favorite. Like I love Verona. She is 100% my favorite and has been from chapter one. Um, I couldn't like I can't rank the other two against each other. Like I, I love all three of them. They're such fantastic characters, and they're so fascinating. I love how they interact with each other. I love everything about it. But Verona is just she's just the best. She speaks to me so much. Um, she's just the weird little kid um, okay. that doesn't really get people. And yeah, I love her. <laughs> she literally stalks the night. <laughs> yes, um, which is very. Yeah, and uh, she's such an edge lord, and like, come on, like, <laughs> as a thirteen-year-old, who wouldn't have wanted to like go the Verona route? Please, fair, absolutely. I shared your opinion when I first started in Arc One. Um, like, she, her interest in diving into the practice uh, early on, while Avery and Lucy were a little more cautious, timid, or uncertain. Like, I really, as a first-time reader, I was like, I want to dive into this world. I want to understand what's so cool about it. Like there's all this mystery dripping off of every little piece of world building. 
And so Verona just forging straight forward. I was like, yes, yes, show me. <laughs> Tell me what this place is about. Um, so I was all behind that. Um, Avery, I think, came into the fore for me somewhere early arc two. I don't remember where um, I love having the LGBT rep. And she just has such an energy to her. Uh, and my family wasn't as big as hers, but I, I could definitely identify more with her upbringing than Verona's. Um, that being said, everything took a left turn with the Paul chapter, where Lucy locked in as my favorite for the foreseeable future. Uh, she had been a somewhat distant third. She just hadn't really clicked with me until then. And that was, I think, the most powerful chapter I've read in Pale. And like, it's definitely top 10, probably higher for me and what I've read from Wildbow. Um, yeah, that one was awesome. It's been long enough now that I, yeah, it's been long enough that I can't really say exactly why. But like there were a dozen beats throughout that chapter that just let me understand Lucy at such a deeper level. And I was just like, yeah, you're, you're my favorite. I, I definitely agree that that chapter was transformative for how I understood Lucy. Yeah. Um, like that was the moment where it, it all sort of came together. It was so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sheer amount of shit that yeah. she's had to put up with and still is as awesome as she is, I guess, is what I would say. Just, <laughs> exactly. It's very endearing, right? It's hard not to love her. Definitely. They're all, they're all so fantastic. Like, yeah, like, they are, they are absolutely beautifully wonderful, fantastic characters, and I love them all to pieces. I just, you know, I just love Verona more. She's just better. Objective. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair enough. Yeah, like, it, it's definitely, like, I, I've read so many other books the the jump well la da miss look and, at mr and... read so many books over here. <laughs> <laughs> no no so with other oh, um, I see. Yeah. like protagonists and there's definitely there's almost always one where i'm like oh okay like oh it's a frodo and sam chapter mm. oh it's a um you know one of the characters from the expanse who i like less than the others chapter like it, there's always someone who i'm a little disappointed to see it's their point of view i haven't encountered that yeah that's that's actually something i've i've really picked up on because i've definitely had the same like i'm a huge like wheel of time fan and like every time it jumps back into like perrin's point of view in that i'm just like oh yeah it's fine but come on let's move it on whereas like (laughs) yeah yeah, every time it's a new chapter and like the name is at the top i just get to be like yes we get another avery chapter like Mm -hmm. yes another lucy chapter i'm always just so excited to see their points of view on whatever's happening there's no disappointment when you find out whose chapter it is ever, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Good. I've yeah. been wanting to know how they're thinking about this thing. Well, and I think to, to your point before, it's like, because not only am I interested in each of them individually and in their own journeys, but also the ways they interact. Like every time it's a Lucy chapter and then there's some one-on-one time with Verona, I'm just as excited mm. as every chapter and there's one-on-one time with Lucy. Like all the permutations are what I'm interested yeah. in. Yeah. I'll say the only, the only thing I'm, I'm, well, I won't say not interested in, but the only thing that's like not as great for me is like anytime we have an Avery scene with her family and like my stress just goes up to like a million. <laughs> I'm just like, oh God, just get out of there. Like her home life is hell to me. I would I would scream and run away, I think. It's definitely a lot. So much. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I guess we, I, I already sort of asked this question a little bit earlier, but um, just, it, it, you know, reading this story as like a a normal person who's just going to the chapters like twice a week or maybe falling a bit behind but you know like in general keeping up with the schedule like how how is the experience uh you know uh working for you so i i mean i think i i think i briefly mentioned it earlier but i'm not doing a very normal thing with this one um like i i read ward 
um, which is Wildwo's previous story for those that probably you know should know. Um, I read that pretty normally, but with Pale, I just like from the first chapter, I was like, I'm just going to live read this. So you know, I brought it up and made some comments as I was reading, and it you know took me like an hour longer than normal or two hours longer than normal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, that was fun. I enjoy live reading. I'm going to do that for every chapter. <laughs> and so far, <laughs> I'm going pretty well. Um, so yeah, it, it does kind of force me to to you know slow down and, and bring out some um, interesting stuff. Uh, whereas like before, like when I've read things like more slowly and just kind of kept up normally, um, you know, it's you you pick up on a lot less stuff. Do you folks? Yeah, absolutely. Do you folks feel like there's a higher proportion of people that live read Wabo stories than other things? Is that do I <laughs> for sure? But I think it's mostly just just the serial format. I think it's mostly the and the example that we set for each other. Like, yeah, mm. I haven't dove into a community to share a work with other people before Wildbo. Like, I guess Harry Potter is like an eleven-year-old <laughs> talking about it with my friends at school. But like at that point, it was largely, "Oh yeah, I finished the book last weekend or whatever." It yeah, wasn't like not... painstakingly what about that going chapter Harry... by chapter yeah, exactly. together. Yeah, I exactly. I, I definitely agree. Like, you know, before Wildbow, um, before Wildbow works, like the media discussion that I'd get into is like, "Well, I finished reading this book, and here's what I thought about it." Whereas Exactly. It's like, it's just this huge culture that only, as far as I'm aware, like only really seems to exist within like the Wild Bow, like books fandom, where we're just so excited to see what other people think, like on basically every sentence that they read. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been in a Discord server like focused around Wild Bow works where there isn't like live read channels. Like they're everywhere. Mm, sure. They use loads. I love it. Yeah. I definitely think the serial format. And maybe because that exists to a lesser extent with TV shows, right? Like I've seen some of this stuff with TV shows, but it's never as much. And I'm just kind of, I'm, I've been thinking about this recently and I'm struggling to put my finger on what it is. I mean, maybe it is just the fact that, you know, Pale especially, but other Wild Boy stories seem to have this effect of like, there's so much between the lines that you can catch uh, and, and have interpretations of and, and, and pull out because they are very well written. I don't know. I'm trying to like put my finger on it. This isn't really to do with arc three. I'm just kind of (laughs) thinking. So so with the TV show, like you could like record yourself watching it and like look at the expressions on someone's face, but Mm. you're a passive consumer with a TV show just waiting for it to finish. Mm. Like I drive people nuts. Twilight is amazing for not being annoyed at me doing this by pausing the expanse when we watch it approximately thirty times an episode. (laughs) That's the worst. Kinds of <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I won't do it with people who aren't okay yeah. with it, but like we'll pause it like thirty times an episode and talk about like what's happening, kind of like a live read with each other. But like most people don't do that because it drives people insane. Mm. See, I, I do that with my but with a book, too. like while you're like perfect. But like with a book with a web serial, like you can just stop because it, it, you're you're reading it; it's at your own pace, um, and digest it with people. Mm. I, I think as well, yeah. Like the web serial is being broken into these small chapters is absolutely like a, a big part of it like you know the, the the harry potter comparison right beforehand like you get the whole book at once yeah you're probably not <laughs> just gonna like go through each chapter and you can't copy text or anything yeah i mean i mean you say that like in terms of getting the whole book at once but like we have channels for people to live read wild Bo's old works and yeah, they do it that's true and like there are what two people actively live reading well semi-actively i count sylph because i'm i trust Three now. Get back. Um, got a new one oh. too, Wofa or something like that. 
Waffle? Oh, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. So we have three people actively live reading Worm, which is like 1.6 million words long. Like, <laughs> yep. like it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, I think it's just like specifically a Wildbow thing. Like, I just looked on another Discord server that I'm on for a web serial, and it's got like latest chapter discussions, but it doesn't have like, you know, somebody coming in at, at chapter one and being like, I want to talk about this. Like, let's talk about mm. it as I read it. Interesting. For sure. There you go. So, you know, if you're interested in, in live reading a story or, or seeing other people's live read, go to patreon.com forward slash do for Good on you, Elliot. Good work. Rep the boys. Be always hustling. be hustling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like, not going to lie, that, that $1 a month is so freaking worth the do for oh, yeah. uh, it is It is 90% of my social Well, yeah. Life. So, as, I mean, obviously, we brought you two in, you're members of the Doof community. Do you have any nice words to say about the Doof Discord and how relatively good value <laughs> for money it is? Or uh... Yeah, because I, I think we always say this stuff, but, like, we're incentivized to do it. We've actually got, like, actual users here. <laughs> I mean, I've, I convinced my wife to join, and she's catching up on Doof content right now as I speak. Like, uh, part of this is also COVID has made this year yeah. absolutely insane. Mm. And the, the alternatives are lower, but also even before COVID, we were extremely invested in the Discord. Yeah. It's a lifeline for me right now. Um, yeah, the, the Discord is, is, like, really fantastic. It's, it is, again, it's my primary social uh, place these days. Uh, which might be a little sad, but, you know, that's just how it is. Um, yep. Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. It's definitely worth it. It's $1 a month. Um, All right. You heard it here yeah. first, or not first, but just as well, I guess. <laughs> so if you're not on the Discord, <laughs> go check it out. Um, I mean, you say it's sad, but, like, it, you, you're among friends, and we're socially distancing, so, like, everyone's online at this mm, point. Yeah, but well, there are no coronavirus cases here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so and it's yeah. well, I'm in the middle of this hellhole country. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, anyway, now that our mandated sponsored segment is over, uh, <laughs> back to discussing our three. And that wasn't even in the script. <laughs> um, yeah. So something else I wanted to bring up uh, from from the story was uh, the obviously I think one of the big new things in Pale are these these new extra material segments that come out on, on most Thursdays. Everything so far, yeah. Um, and and I'm just wondering how that's working for for y'all. Like, you know, obviously we're getting a lot out of it here, but we're reading it twice and stuff. Still, how how's it helping as you go through the story normally? Uh, I am I am loving them like so much. Like the crazy thing is is Wildbows called them like bonus content. You know, like the the idea of that is like oh it's bonus content. Oh you know you'll get it sometimes and you know whatever. <laughs> it's just a, it's every now and then when you can but he's done it every week and they're all fantastic <laughs> um like i mean the illustrations like oh my god oh, they're so good like and like the best thing is is that just wildbow does them all like he does all of these little illustrations just because he can because he thinks it's cool and fun i suppose and it's so cool <laughs> i just i love it he's turning into one of those people who's frustratingly good at everything because yeah. he's also now already a lot better than me at drawing. I don't, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he says that he admires people who have the ability to have multiple talents, and I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, it's a bit, it's pretty crazy. Um, um, and just like the even the variances in the styles, like we've got those like yes. uh, the, the the portraits mm -hmm. of Broners versus like the, the little Avery Doodle is almost its own little 
like genre of, of art that has popped up that I love. Like, yeah, um, there's a versatility to the artwork as well. I think we have some of the doodles as like little emojis on the Doof Discord. So that's another reason you should join. They're the best. (laughs) Always be hustling. No, we Um, we finished the sponsored segment, (laughs) (laughs) kid. Um, but yeah, like they're, they're just so, they're so cute and they're so emotive and everything. And it's like, not only does it, is it just adorable and I love it, but also like they actually like help you think about what the characters look like because I am one of those people that just, I don't really get pictures in my head. like when I'm reading stuff, mm. like, cause I know, I know some people will actually like build like scenes in their head as they read things and like, oh yeah, this is what this character looks like. This is what the scene is like. As I'm lost, like, ha ha words on a page. Wonderful. Um, and just having these pictures is like, oh, okay, that's what this description meant. You know, that's what that's kind of supposed to look like. I can't decide if I like what Rona or dude more. <laughs> that's, that's the name of two of the emojis. I think what Rona is the best. Um, I think I'd agree. Um, and like, aside from aside from the fantastic, uh, like drawings and everything, like the recaps are just incredibly useful. Like, so slight spoiler for the, you know, the end of the thing, uh, the end of this episode where they've asked me to make a very specific um, and pointed, I think, uh, prediction because, you know, they're really mean like that. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and I, I made a prediction. And like when I was gathering the evidence for it, I was like, well, I need to remember, you know, what people were doing during the awakening ritual. So normally if I was doing this for like worm or ward or twig or pact, I'd like go read that section of the of the book which you know because i'm i'm twenty thousand words later <laughs> yeah so i do actually do that sometimes when people ask for clarification on stuff i just go read like a chapter or two because i, I really like this these books. and then you can just do one yeah, more just one more um but with this one i was able to just bring out the bonus material and just be like okay cool this is what this character was doing this is what this character was doing this is how they interacted um and just having like all of that like recap of like everything it's it's so incredibly incredibly useful yeah, I remember, like, I think in our notes for 1.2, there's, like, a huge page where I started doing that. Like, I was jotting down who entered through where <laughs> and was, like, doing that myself. And then it was just, like, and then I saw the bonus material and it was just that. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> this is so much easier. Yeah. I also like that every now and then you'll get some fun little, like, foreshadowing about something coming up with the um, bonus material. Like, yeah. I don't know if everybody else thought this, but, like, as soon as we had the, um like, the the breeze gadgets like one where it's got all the stuff that she's brought in i was like cool the canators are getting this at some point like Mm. absolutely like (laughs) they will be in possession of these things by the end of you know next chapter or the chapter after yep so we had the rad ray you know cracking into rad ray security system and then that pretty explicitly set up and hey these are all the people that we're about to meet in our next interlude yeah (laughs) that was so cool i think that's a a really interesting line that's being walked by these things because as far as I'm aware, like all of the extra material so far is not required reading. Yeah, I think um, Bob has made mention of that. And and I think what's interesting is yeah, like there's all various different ways they fit in. So whether it's like yeah, little previews of gadgets that are going to come up, or recapping the story, or just introducing something uh, and giving us a bit extra detail on it. Um, but you know the 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 um, some of the recent stuff like the Sunny Day World gave us some extra detail on on zed and ray's relationship that you don't need for 3.c but is helpful yeah yeah it was they're so cool I, I don't understand why anyone would go through this and just be like extra content nah, i've had enough pale for today <laughs> like <laughs> i mean 
you say that, and then there's the people who skip like the interludes. Oh, that, I don't think those people are real. I think they're just trying to upset us. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with uh, Ruben on this, just because like thinking about that possibly being real makes me just too upset to like mm. comprehend. So, <laughs> conversely, the one person who read only the interview interludes was hilarious. <laughs> that was fascinating. <laughs> I remember, yeah, this came up on the Parahumans Reddit at some point. There was somebody who had read Worm, but only the interlude. Um, oh my god that's insanity it would be yeah, <laughs> so incredibly confusing um oh, but yeah like the, yeah these these anyway. bonus things are just they're so fantastic like sure like some people might be skipping them but if you're listening to this and you're skipping them stop it i'll fight you <laughs> um i find the bonus content really incredible for the shallow read that i mentioned before um when i'm just reading blazing through the story so many little details get lost in the rush and uh, having access to avery lucy and verona's watsonian analysis is super useful yeah like there, there was that one where it wasn't just the list of gifts they received but also their own thinking on on all of it and that was such a cool way mm-hmm. to sort of summarize what we should be thinking about because that stuff was scattered throughout multiple other chapters yeah, yeah. And, and it's like you know that they're going to miss something and so it's like also this is an exercise for the reader if you'd like to go back and <laughs> yeah. check. Yeah, th- those are really cool as well. Um, and I especially loved uh, some of Verona's like, objective ratings on the gifts. You know, this one's a 7 <laughs> out of 10. Oh, God. Absolutely. 9.5 out of 10. No <laughs> risks whatsoever. <laughs> turning into yeah, a cat. Yeah, I, I think that was turning into a cat, which is... Mm. Oh, no, it definitely yeah. was. <laughs> That's, that's gone well for her. She's been able to use that all the time, and there's been nothing like impeding her from going cat form. I think the average rating she gave to the rest of the gifts was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun watching each Kenneteer develop their own tastes within the world. Yeah. Like, watching, you know, Verona just go bananas for being a cat <laughs> uh, versus Avery, like, wanting to dive into these, frankly, insane uh, paths. Um, and then you know Lucy just being so practically oriented. Mm. Like, I just I just love how Verona will get interested in the concept of something, and Lucy will just be like, I, I don't understand how I can use this. It's <laughs> great. I think I think I have to say that broke my mind a little bit when like uh, Avery was like, Oh yeah, paths. Yeah, no, I I do another path, and I was like, Sorry, what? Yeah, you, what are you talking <laughs> about? You you just went on baby's first path and you were so horribly traumatized that you jumped when a loud noise happened near you and like you you almost died and like why would you go on another one? I think Verona was also like, insane. Yeah, I do one too. It's like stop it. <laughs> like don't. <laughs> it was insane to me that that was yeah, baby's first path. Yeah, it's like uh, how does anyone how does anyone I mean I'm I'm saying this to Avery as well, how does anyone do this and think Yes, this is a good career. <laughs> I think it's just descriptive of what drives her. Like when she first uh, jumped into the awakening uh, ritual, the key thing that she defined herself on was like, I want to go to interesting places and see interesting things. Mm. And she'll do anything to get there. <laughs> I also love how that's, uh, how that's like evolved with Snowdrop now, where it's like, it's less that she just wants to go somewhere sure. and do something cool. Like she wants to find these like, Others that might be, you know, uh, weak or, or you know, uh, vulnerable, and she wants to help them. And I, I love that. I love that so much. I love Snowdrop. Out of curiosity, did she create Snowdrop when they used her as the boon companion? Does every opossum have an otter familiar personification? How does that work? I think we don't know. 
Yeah. Where, um, I think it was said that the um whenever he was in in the Forest Ribbon Trail, I think it was sort of said that <laughs> the whole place was powered by her to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like so sure. there was a bit of her in all the others there, and I think I assumed that that also applied to Snowdrop. Yeah. But um, you know, we don't know to what extent. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely like I, I have assumptions that I've made, but I could be wrong. And this did explicitly call out that like not every opossum boon companion would be contrary in the way that Snowdrop is. I always true, know. true. So yeah, I mean, she's just the best character. Come on. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I mean, I guess speaking of, how do how do you both? Like, why don't we just talk about the the sort of Kenneth others and in, in our cast of colourful monsters in town? Um, so yeah, uh, so I mean, the main takeaway from all of the uh, all of the others in town is that fairies uh, should be like, if you see a fairy run, um, cry maybe. I don't know. It might it probably won't help you. You'll just get uh, twisted up in one of their schemes. Fairy are terrifying. Like ah. But overall, I, I like I adore all of the others. Like they're they're all so interesting. They play each, off each other like really fascinatingly. Like with like with Toad Swallow calling in the fairy. Like I, I from everything that both the fairy had said and the goblins had said, I never would have expected that a goblin would choose to bring a fairy along, like to help them out. And like there's obviously these like these disagreements between them. But then also they work so well together. Well, they did work well together, and then Miss went by Miss. Um, yeah, like they're oh, they're so fascinating. I I love them. I love them so much. Um, and the goblins are ten out of ten. My favorite others. Um, like one of my favorite scenes in the book so far has just been Verona feeding, well, trying to feed them all chicken nuggets. Um, <laughs> while I think it was like Gash, uh, like smushed one of the other's face into like the concrete and was like grinding it down into the concrete and like putting his hand down the other one's throat to like grab the chicken nugget out <laughs> it, was yeah, it was so good that moment of yeah that moment of realization where verona is like oh it's actually like being fair to them is not the way to go like she <laughs> had to play them against each other like yeah they didn't want to be treated equally <laughs> yeah Uh, I remember when I was doing my live read um, and I was just like gushing about how amazing like some other thing in that scene was like how the goblins were like talking to each other and someone was like yeah but do you remember what they're doing to each other right now I was like yeah Gashford's like smushing the other one's face into the gravel and like tearing it up into little like chunky salsa bits and like that's the best part of this scene like how can you not (laughs) love the goblins they're so fantastic disagree (laughs) (laughs) They are my least favorite others by a country mile. So I, I thought I was going to get to just disagree with everything you said because I thought you were just going to leave it at uh, you loved the fairy and I was just going to say the fairy are fucking terrifying. Moving oh, on. I, I also, also <laughs> I love the fairy. They're fantastic. <laughs> the fairy is sort um, of this. The, 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 there's the dichotomy of the fairy. Like the person, if I was to meet one in real life, like and if I pretend that I, like when I'm treating the people in story as real human beings and the fairy it's like okay, run run the other oh, yeah. or if you've seen them it's probably already too late yeah yep. um whereas like the the reader in me is like a fairy hell yeah <laughs> this yeah, is gonna fair. be awful i'm exactly the same i think my favorite my favorite bit is that uh Guillerme, uh chased nicolette off by offering her gifts. oh it was like, so that's beautiful <laughs> it, was, it was offering her exactly what she came here for so like if it was vengeance he'd give her vengeance it's like oh jesus what does that mean i thought that was so good for establishing just 
like how baseline terrified we should be of the fairy <laughs> that like yep. the other most experienced practitioner we knew of at the time met a fairy and the fairy's like hey i'll give you everything you want she was like okay i'm fucking out <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah yeah that was beautiful so the fairy of fantastic dawn i'm glad you agree <laughs> but, um I, I will i will say that cherry pop is the exception uh she, like all goblins are disgusting but she is self-deprecating to such an extreme that i can't help but admire <laughs> she's so good her her like pairing with snowdrop yes. has uh, just been everything i, yes! I could have agreed so it would be yeah, yeah. like 100 uh, percent like at first i thought like they hated each other and they were like well not hated but like cherry pop was just like causing trying to cause snowdrop like more and more pain <laughs> I like going and getting her milk when Snowdrop's like, oh, it's disgusting. I'm going to vomit. Um, but then like, you know, in like 3.6, I think like Cherry Pop's very much like, no, you're part of the goblin crew. Like you're one of us, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, they seem to be legitimate uh, friends. Now. Yeah, it's so beautiful. For sure. I go back to Snowdrop as the best character in Wild Boar work <laughs> and to prevent myself from talking about her for 20 minutes. Uh, Charles. <laughs> so I think Charles is painted badly by like his karmic debt shit pile, but I don't, I still don't know if I actually trust them in this but that sounds really like you're listening to Tama. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Like That's the thing I love about Charles is I'm so unsure whether we're actually meant to hate him or just <laughs> or just we're, you know, like the way Wildbo has written Pity. the story is is from the perspective of Karma is making us hate him, you know? <laughs> yeah, yep. like yep. every description of him is coloured by the characters thinking less of him, yes. which we've sort of been told is Karma. Yeah. But, like, I love how it's still working on me as a reader. I'm still like, I just don't think I can trust sure. this guy. Yeah. Also, like, if someone has a bad feeling about someone, it feels weird to be like, don't trust that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, like, uh, Avery thinks the same thing about Matthew and Edith. Like, every time we see Matthew and Edith yeah. from Avery's perspective, she just doesn't true, trust true. the way they interact. And I completely believe her 100%. Like, I, I've basically stuck by claim. There's something up with those two, just because of Avery's feeling mm. about it. But then with Charles, it just feels like a little bit more complicated than that because the story has also told us that the universe is making us think that. Yeah, I think that Matthew and Edith uh, are probably my prime suspects for the. Oh, well, we can cover that later. Yes, save it for the the specific <laughs> prediction time. <laughs> yes, um, but they are codependent and willing to throw anyone else under the bus for each other's sake. I mean, that's valid. Uh, Alpiana makes me uncomfortable because she's so unabashedly evil, but like without an ounce of malevolence behind it, it's just like the the just following orders of it. Where it's like I don't I don't know how this works, and I don't know if you can push back about that, but like it doesn't seem to cause you any grief that your existence is just to bring grief. I think uh, like she solidified a bit to me, and my feelings solidified on her when. There was the reference late in Arc 3 about how Alpie didn't want to get involved in the politics of the town. Like, she's that sort of mm-hmm. apolitical, just like, this is just the way it is, and and it's it's all fine. Um, like, mm. yeah, she's, yeah, as you said, like, it, she's just, this is just the way things are, and she's not really looking to challenge that. Um, and she doesn't have empathy for any of it. She's just like, like, when pressed, she's like, eh, I guess... That maybe some good could result if you look at it with this kind of a squint, but like that's she does. She's honestly she doesn't care about it. She's just when pressed. Yeah, uh, and I love her. She's so good. <laughs> I don't. That's the thing is like Ugh. I can't help. I can't help but still find her very charming when she's in the scene. Like 
the Scottish sure. fur and stuff. Like she's just fun. And then the more I think on it, the more I'm like, come on, Alfie. Like, I mean, I I think I'm you can do better. I'm willing to like cut her some slack being you know an other. Like she sure. clearly doesn't have like the same moral compass as anybody else. Yeah. Like, I mean, just, she doesn't have one. She doesn't have a moral core. <laughs> Well, I think it's so interesting as well. Like, I, I feel like we're going to dive back into Alfie more just because she seems like such a perfect way to dive into Verona's whole plan. Yeah. Because that was essentially what it wasn't Alfie. She was originally like a girl and then she sort of just got morphed into being this this mare through. Yeah, it was she was a, a, a whole bunch of shenanigans. Yeah, she was a young girl and then her entire family got sick and mm. she didn't get sick. And so what she did was. She just like stood by their bedsides and woke them up when they were having like night terrors. And then over time, like they just started to kind of forget she existed, except for the fact that she was the the thing that wakes them up when they're having nightmares. And yeah. Hmm. And by by the time that her family was getting better, like I think she notes that she was like up in the rafters of the house, like staring down at them and like was basically <laughs> no longer human. Like, Yikes. Yeah. Like yeah. that's so cool. I love Alpie. She's great. <laughs> Yeah, I just wonder if we're going to, you know, because like this is the sort of stuff I worry about for Verona is what does she have to give up to become an other? And maybe this is, because that's particularly, I feel like that's the sort of thing, like if Verona started to act more like that, that's where Lucy will start to challenge her and where conflict could arise between those two. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do really think it's interesting, like looking at her through the lens of this is a future for Verona and like I do not think that Lucy would let that <laughs> would let that particular future come to pass. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think uh, you, you know I'm looking forward to that inevitable conflict that's presumably going to happen in the story where Verona finally either says <laughs> to Lucy what she's planning on doing or starts taking more active steps down that path. And uh, we already know, you know, Lucy's uh, Lucy's on the lookout for Verona, right? So we will see. Um, so. One thing that our audience might not know uh, is that, Dawn, of the four of us on this call, you're the only person who hasn't read Pact before. And um, we yep. we did a discussion with another guest towards the start of the show uh, who hadn't read Pact. And, but I, I kind of want to get your vibe on how you're finding the story without the backstory of Pact, you know, the intended route where you don't actually have to read Pact to read Pact. For sure. Uh, honestly, it kind of sucked at the start because the community was, seemed fundamentally incapable <laughs> of protecting first-time readers from spoilers. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, in literally the first chapter, I was reading about these dark shadows and being able to be like, oh, look at all these fucking goblins running around. They're so cool. And like, oh my God, they're going to be the best things ever. And I'm like, literally all I knew was like monkey shapes that were dark shadows. And mm. okay, I guess those are goblins. And I've been on Doof for a year and change. Maybe, t- I don't know, it's been a while. But like, I've heard so much about the goblins just through accidental spoilers that I'm like, okay, cool. I am now ascribing all this stuff into it. And then like the fairy courts got mentioned before the fairy basically had been mm. um, practitioner specialty, uh, specialties being forsworn, like all that stuff that could have been teased out over time. So like within the first four or so chapters, I basically just left the pale community on doof and listened only to pale reflections. But now that it's been like three arcs, I've slowly been coming back in now that most of the basics have been covered and it's been much better. In universe, though, it's been an amazing journey. I didn't feel like I missed out or needed anything from Pact. Yeah, that, that's good to hear because it certainly felt from from this side, like having read Pact, I was like, oh, this is a really cool way to introduce XYZ. Um, but also 
like you know it's hard to separate the part of yourself that is already familiar with it when you're assuming that this is a good way to introduce it Mm. oh for sure and like skipping ahead a bit with um jumping into packed myself i like thinking about how packed might be like i know there's a main character blake who has just the worst time (laughs) ever so um like thinking about how it's going to introduce different concepts um i'm expecting that uh it's going to be treated entirely differently like for example i bet uh being forsworn is not going to uh be relayed so nicely and clearly at the very beginning of the story i bet we're going to see it happen to someone as the, one of our first uh, uh introductions to it and it's going to be eye-opening to blake likewise uh the fairy the the trio get about 600 warnings about the fairy before they ever go to meet them and like they still are just like sure let's go meet the fairy so i bet blake is gonna have no fucking clue what he's walking into when he first meets the fairy this um, is so can so i like, just say this is so interesting <laughs> this is really yeah, this is fascinating i'm loving this uh, give us more give us more yeah <laughs> sure Basically, I'm just like, anytime Pale does something, I'm like, okay, so it probably didn't happen like that in Pact. And so what would be an interesting different way for it to have been introduced to readers? And so the stuff that was just like dropped in our lap for free, I'm like, okay, what's the worst way Blake could have found out about this? <laughs> and likewise, the, the stuff that's played up for like a big reveal here, I'm like, either that didn't come up in Pact at all, or it was something Blake got for free because he had a family in the practice or whatever it is that um like gave him a leg up on them because like they're gonna have different strengths they're gonna have different weaknesses they're gonna have different struggles because that's what's gonna keep it interesting having another story here. Mm. like taylor wasn't victoria and vice versa yeah i think I, I, like i'm super fascinated to start hearing from people when pal finishes who do dive into pact like Mm-hmm. you know so to to use your fairy example like if if blake was to just meet a fairy and not know what's going on like it'll be such a fundamentally different experience for you because you'll yep. if you hear they're a fairy you're immediately you've already got all these ideas that packed readers wouldn't have had at that point and i'm i'm super curious for to sure. start hearing from packed readers oh sorry from pale readers as they start to read packed on like how they're how, how the story works for them having pale under their belt mm. so i mean Wild Bill works are great on rereads, so um, it, it's okay that like like you're not going to be surprised by something on the second one, but you can try to like it's still enjoyable, and you can always watch right. live reader if you want to have the vicarious experience. <laughs> but because Pell was second, um, it was written intentionally around that dynamic because Wild Bill has to satisfy both packed readers and first time readers, and the first time readers knowing they may well go back to packed later, um, so he doesn't want to yeah. And so Pact was not written in that way. So my guess is it'll be a little bit less elegant where it wasn't written up front with the intention that someone's coming in and possibly has a fraction of the world building already installed for them. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm excited for your for your live read, let me just say, Dawn. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, sorry. I just, I just went quiet for a bit because I'm just picturing all these scenes in Pat. Yeah, I know, right? Who's got pale might Absolutely same, like, yeah. respond to <laughs> For sure. Um, um, but I am a thousand percent interested to read Pact after this. I was, like, kind of interested beforehand, but, like, uh, like people would rep it on the Discord. I know Kipos and a variety of others said it was their favorite at times. Uh, or might have been Twig. Yeah, my um, favorite is Twig. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> uh, but, like, I, I, 
<laughs> I'd be distracted by other things, but um, now I'm super bought in, and Twilight wants me to wait until she's ready to go through a deep impact with her, so we'll see. It's a lot easier to keep up with Pale than turn through an entire deep impact backlog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that deep impact backlog is too big for <laughs> idiots to put that together. That's good. It's worth listening to. Um, for sure. Thank you. Are, there, are there any other? Are there any other? like expectations that you have going into pact that you think are interesting to discuss dawn um well so i think that we'd probably see some practitioner specialties that we may not come across in pale um so or if so they'll uh, be like different amounts of fleshed out like for example i doubt that one of the main bands of whoever blake hangs with is going to be a finder because that would feel a little repetitive if uh, Avery was doing that. Um, my guess is augers wouldn't have been as investigated and in, like, I'm, I'm repeating what I said before, but like inverting what we're seeing. Mm. Um, conversely stuff that's only hinted at in pale could just be brand new world teasing, or it could be something that packed readers have a bit of a leg up. And they get to laugh at us as we're just like, Oh, what's that? And you're like, Oh, if only you knew. <laughs> Do you have any <laughs> thoughts on what, those might be just just for my own entertainment. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's come back here. Maybe I'll just think about it sometime while we're Fair chatting. Enough. Okay. I, I have to admit there was definitely like a part of that when we were doing like arc one of Pale, and you'd see someone who's only reading Pale and they haven't read Pact, and they'd be like, they'd say something like about the fairy, and of course, like all the mm-hmm. Pact readers, like <laughs> 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, but it's it's such a testament to this world that, um, like what you're saying, like there's all these other branches of the practice or something. So like you you not knowing anything about pact, you're sort of like, well, okay, it could just be dealing with all this stuff to do with this world that just isn't even coming up in pale. Um, and, and it's so crazy to me that that you know like that's sort of an option that like pale is is not wanting for world building, um, but it's also set up that there's so much that you're just willing to believe that there's a whole other half to it that you're not even seeing. I guess I wonder, like, are there the pale equivalents of lawyers? I, I think they cover judges in a couple different dimensions, but like people who like go over contracts with people, uh, like, is there demonology? Are there priests? Are there like like ways to ward off all of these different things? Like, we haven't covered too much of that in mm, diving yeah. into more religious symbology. I think I don't know. there was there was one practitioner that was mentioned as like worshiping a god. I think in three point z. Yeah, in three dot z, it it came up. True, true. Um, um, sorry, I don't mean to say there's no like, but like that's a passing reference rather than like a common trope that's getting re revamped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. I haven't really seen vampires or a lot of other pop horror. Mm. Yeah. Yo. Uh. Well. Now I'm just picturing who who is secretly a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. It's Melissa, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing with us your, uh, your unspoiled <laughs> thoughts, I suppose, Dawn. Um, uh, something else that we like to do when we're reflecting on an episode is dive into the arc title here. So Out on a Limb is obviously the title of arc three, which... Um, you know, has uh, is a uh, an idiom means to you know to kind of stick your neck out for something, I guess, um, to go out on a position that you believe in, even though potentially there's 
danger there. Obviously, uh, it comes from this idea of like climbing out on a on a shaky limb of a tree branch of a of a tree, right? Um, does anyone have any thoughts on what out on a limb might have been referring to in this arc? Um, the definitive element for me in the phrase is the the risk, um, and this can be especially at your own expense. So, like, if you're putting yourself at risk for someone else, mm. it it can be self serving. Although I think of that le- uh, less, but um, to epitomize that, uh, very, the right at the beginning of the arc, uh, Miss in a way kicks it off with doing so for Avery because Avery was able yeah. to guess her nature, and so she was like, "Sure, I will go out on a limb for you in exchange." Mm. Yeah, like I I agree. For me, like when I think on think of like out on a limb, I think of like sacrificing or, or trusting someone else. Like you're, when I hmm. use the phrase like I'm going out on a limb, it's I'm going out on a limb for person X. Like I'm, yes, I'm taking a risk and trusting this this other person. Obviously, like yeah, you're right. Like Miss opened the arc by doing that. Um, we had all these moments with Verona, uh, getting burnt by her dad, uh, along this line, or like Rowan not willing to put himself out there much for Avery. Like lots of little sort of details like that. Um. We have Snowdrop, who we all love and we, we, we absolutely trust would do anything she can for Avery mm. and probably even the other two. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, literally, uh, Avery stood on a limb at one point in this arc of a, of a tree. So I think that's the meaning, <laughs> definitively. Um, but, but I think it's interesting that um, like Verona, Avery and Lucy go out on a limb in trusting Bree and Zed. Mm. And very much sure. like they're not getting that trust from the others. Like that's not a relationship that currently has that level of trust. But apparently, it's fine to do it with outsiders. Huh, we'll mm. see how it goes. Yeah, well, I I agree. I think like watching the town sort of fall apart. Like what we're seeing here is not the trust inherent in each other, and people are not going out on a limb for each other in the town. Um, like well, the Kenneteers and the Kennet others specifically are not extending this trust and and willing to do stuff for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the word limb, going out on a limb, kind of immediately makes me think that Brie, you know, interlude dined out on a limb, and in fact, a whole oh. body. That's potentially another meaning. <laughs> dined out on a few limbs, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. I did actually, like, speaking of her, like, seeing her through the site was fascinating to me, like, in how I'd been wondering about what happens to someone after they win, and looking at her through the site, and she's just mangled and is missing, like, half of her limbs and yet she looks completely yeah. fine that's so interesting i think that's gonna be really interesting as well because she's talking about awakening yeah and oh god she talks about herself like she's fine physically like is she gonna have this moment where she awakens turns on her sight for the first time is like what the fuck <laughs> oh, oh shit you know yeah. i hadn't thought about I mean, that and now i'm terrified <laughs> oh goodness because the sight kind of gives off this vibe that it's you're seeing how the spirits see something right like you're seeing more like a spirit would see something and so if if brie is awakening that is she's defining her identity by how she is to the spirits and so she's kind of like explicitly tying herself more into this like facade i guess you know the 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 fact that she's physically fine over the top of this like absolutely ruined spiritual identity underneath ah yeah yeah so exactly what avery's doing with uh um get glamour right now right yes yeah oh that old (laughs) that old not an addiction i'm sure they're i'm sure they're not at all similar and there's no connection between those two (laughs) have we seen any of the practitioners see themselves in a mirror with the site 
I think the closest was Lucy noticing her pink hair. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Gotcha. Right, right. Well, actually, no, she does look at herself in a, in the mirror while her mum is doing her hair in chapter 1.4 yes. or something like that. Yeah, because doesn't one of them freak out that they see their animal form in the mirror when they turn on their sight? Was that Lucy when her mum was doing her hair or was that another? I think that might have been That's where I remember oh, a I scene remember. where somebody was like, whoa, there's, there's a cat in my peripheral vision. Well, oh, it was probably Verona then. I, was, I had to guess. <laughs> oh, no, the cat. The cat was a really good example. <laughs> You've cracked okay. the soul. Always phrased example, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ruben's cracked the code. Uh, well, speaking of cracking codes and solving mysteries, the other question that we, of course, have to ask everybody is, who's behind it all? What are, what are you thinking? Who's behind the, the mystery? Yeah, this is something we force every uh, Reflections guest to, to do, is you know make a bold and specific uh, prediction. So who's going first? Well, I suppose I suppose I'll go first here. Um, so I think I mentioned it earlier, um, but I I went back and looked at the awakening ritual um, because it was it was obviously brought up um, as them uh, Lucy in particular believing that the ones that killed the Carmine Beast were the ones that uh, interacted with the coin in the mm-hmm. awakening ritual, and I'm kind of thinking like maybe that's not quite right. Because the, the coin represents like the furs and the power of the Carmine Beast. Whereas if we're talking about murdering something, we're probably going to look at maybe like a skull for death. Huh? Huh? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, I can see it. <laughs> so what I have is not only was the coin important at the Awakening Ritual, so was the skull. So the skull is related to individuals who cause the death of the Carmine Beast, and the coin relates to those that seek its power or sought its power. So Matthew didn't seek its power, but he did participate in the killing. He entered via the hourglass and left by the skull. So killing her wasn't the primary motive. Mm. The primary motive for him was the hourglass. So I'm kind of interpreting the hourglass as either his mortality uh, with respect to like Edith, who is maybe immortal because she's a spirit, eh. or maybe the hourglass is literally supposed to represent Edith, who is, you know, the girl by candlelight, candles being another way to tell time. Um, So, yeah, so... Matthew participated in it, uh, helped kill it, but didn't gain any of the power, didn't want any of the power. Um, yeah. Uh, that hourglass, like, Edith is explicitly something that's, like, ephemeral, that's fraying, and they have to work to keep her together. So, like, maybe the motivation there is the role that the Carmine Beast provides it gives a sense of permanence and stability that would fundamentally solve Edith's uh, issues. And so that might be Matthew's mm. uh, motivation there. there. Yeah, perfect evidence that I'm correct. Um, <laughs> so, so next, so Edith entered via the skull and then left via the coin. So, she, so like her primary motivation in this was the death of the Carmine Beast. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, like probably there's loads of speculation around why she would want the Carmine Beast dead. Um, and I think there's been some talk about like being able to petition the court uh, for the ability to have a child, you know, keep it safe. Um, but from from killing it, which was her primary motivation, she hoped to, to gain the power. So she does want the power, but mainly she wanted it dead. Um, Marish, Marcy. Sorry. <laughs> that fairy whose name I cannot say Love that it. presents primarily female. Um, she entered via the thread and left via the coin. Um, so she didn't seek the death of the Kamei Beast, um, and she wasn't actually involved with the death at all. But she really wants the power. Like she wants those, uh, you know, that blood, fur, and bone of the Carmine Beast. Um, and you know, maybe she wants to become the Carmine Moth. Um, 
And so I'm thinking like Thread might tie into like the like her schemes um, because like Guillaume or Gilham um, had Thread in his a bunch as well. Or Thread might also just like kind of refer to like the nature of an other. Like um, her nature is to scheme. And so she saw like its power because she's a schemer. Um, so then the goblins, um, except for Toadswallow, because he is different and better than the others. Um, they entered via the blade and <laughs> left via the skull. So they didn't actually seek the death and they don't actually want the power, but they enter via violence, which is the blade, and just murder her because they're goblins and they want to stab things because, you know, they're goblins. <laughs> Fair. They don't strike me as people who would be particularly difficult to co-opt into, no. like, a potential <laughs> into murder. Into a murder yeah. plot, yeah. yeah. Please help me beat yeah. something to death. And they're like, what, where? Like, yeah, sure. Now? Awesome. <laughs> name, name the We'll place. pay you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so the Hungry Choir, and they entered via the skull and left via the coin. So they did seek her death. And it's like, maybe it's for the power um, primarily. Or like, I'm thinking maybe it might be vengeance for the Carmine um, Beast for like not helping them when they were Yalda and, you know, living in Kennet before getting fucking murked by her best friend. Um, you know, I'm thinking like maybe they sought uh, help from the Carmine Beast. She refused to uh, provide any. And so the Hungry Choir is like, well, we're just going to murder you now. Um, and they also want that power. So yeah, that's that's my that's my prediction mm. that those are the people involved. So my, my sort of uh, like thoughts on this, um, like jumping specifically on Marissica, um, she, I think I joked a few episodes ago that uh, it might turn out that she's doing all of this just to get that note from Guillaume. <laughs> um, but I think that started as a joke, and the more I've thought about it, the more I actually think that might just be what's happening. Yeah, I can see that. Um, like my theory is, like, she is just... This is all just a sideshow for her. It's part of her scheme to just get this note off Guillaume. Because, um, like, that just seems so Machiavellian villain that, like, all of this bullshit. She's upsetting like an entire region of Canada just so she can steal this note. Um, I also like this idea because it means Guillaume might actually be willing to sort of side with the Kenneteers if it stops Marissica. Um, maybe. But yeah, I mean, that's just my sort of thoughts on where Marissica might fit in. She's just kind of involved with this because it causes chaos that lets her get the note. If the Hungry Choir was created, then maybe it owes some sort of debt or service to what created it so that might be related to the coin yeah it could be could be it's a good point like this these if these if these entrances and exits are sort of summarizing them as beings like it might have more to do with just their existence rather than their like specific any, tie to the murder or, or their like specific intent mm. like yulda I, I don't know how much yulda may have been able to control that she wanted to be part of killing the carmine beast mm. you know? yeah exactly um okay what about you dawn what what have you got for us uh, in comparison to that, <laughs> um, I've been swinging by the channel a little bit more lately, so I've been consuming other people's thoughts. So I think I'm just basically parroting what other people have said, but like, and we've been talking about, but Marissa being the power behind it. Um, Charles, even though he's forsworn, if he comes across the materials, then he can still like do practice, not via his own power, but by just carrying out the motions um and so marissica funneling the necessary stuff to him via proxy um i don't know how matthew or edith could 
do this. Like I see the motive for them in spades, but the means uh, less so. Um, rereading Edith's and Marissa's interviews is is really interesting. Like Edith obviously was being dodgy the whole time, and that became more and more evident over the course of it to the point where it just devolves and they have to stop it. But like rereading Marissa's is hilarious. She does not answer a single question straight. Like sure, like <laughs> most of the time she's deflecting into gifts. How about some gifts? Have we talked about gifts yet? Um, but like she every answer she gives is a step to the side at best. Um, and it is cool. She has a neat line there, uh, going back to the fur specifically, uh, how she sought the uh, Carmine Beast fur. Um, so yeah, like Marissa, I think seeks power from the downfall, like furthering her schemes, Charles, maybe revenge and Edith permanence. Yeah. That, I mean, that all makes sense. Sure. I do just, I like love the, the fairy is so entertaining. <laughs> the fact that she just did. Yeah. On, a, on on Marissica's oh. interview, I remember when I was live reading that, they finished with her and they turned to uh, Guillaume and they say, who do you think did it? And he just says, oh, it's, it was Marissica. I, I definitely think it was Marissica. Did- and it's like, yeah, okay. So blatantly he's saying she didn't give it a single straight answer in there that like disproves that she did it. Like, <laughs> it was so good. It's odd though. If a fairy is saying X, then that makes me trust X slightly. Less. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's still a fairy. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I don't do the fairy mind games. It's just I get lost <laughs> yeah, it's to that level. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, I think I only have one correct prediction fail so far. That's like the instant mismentioned lost. I was like, you're lost, aren't you? I have no idea why. <laughs> but like, I, don't, I remember Wildbo in the uh, doof asked me, he was like, why would you think that? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just feels right. Well, it was. <laughs> well done. If, uh, if I have any other predictions, I think it's just that uh, Verona will not become another by the end. Uh, it would be interesting if one of the other two did, but uh, I don't think Avery's interest in a partner really incentivizes her to become another unless there's a suitable other partner that comes what by. What about Alpi? Totally see her going other yeah, for her. Alpi's right there. <laughs> Familiar is more the like vibe that I see there. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel like for me, within the just the scope of this story which is probably not her entire life i feel like the the win for avery would be learning that she doesn't need to have a partner oh God, yes like i i don't like i don't know maybe i'm bringing mm, some of my own stuff into true. this but like i feel like <laughs> learning to be okay with yourself is is, is always that sort of uh, that's the first step to being in a relationship so like avery ending the story being okay with who she is by herself uh for me would be like okay and now she can move forward and find a relationship Hopefully she can stop fantasizing about having dates with her teacher. It's really creepy. Yes. Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> like when you're like when you're a young teenager, like from her perspective, I don't actually think it's that creepy. Like that's just that's just what teenagers. Yeah, but do. it's also really creepy. And <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, but also it's creepy. Part of this is that um, I've moderated my position on twig significantly since i started reading it where the only thing i knew about twig early on was that it was biopunk like a world of bone saws and that uh wild Bo specifically tried to amp up the romantic nature of his cast because he felt that it had been a bit lacking in uh worm and pack and so like you drop in to the first scene and it's a bunch of 12 year olds and i'm like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> And so, like, I had some strong reactions to that really strong preconception I had. Um, and so, over the course of a couple of arcs, I worked myself off that to being like, this is, like, 
I was 12 once and like <laughs> I was interested in other people whether or not they were age appropriate for me like it's new and interesting and you're trying to learn that out so like I've I've moderated myself significantly being like these are 13 year old girls and if they're crushing on someone twice their age okay that's what a 13 year old girl does and the teacher has the appropriate response of being like and you're going that way now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like oh I can tell what's happening here and I'm having absolute <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Like, I I don't get squicked out because she's 13, she's she's doing 13 things, and the teacher is appropriately responding. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do we have any other final predictions or any other things that we want to say about this arc before we start to wrap up? Uh, just on becoming another, it feels like the failure state of all of them, so mm. I hope all three of them succeed and not becoming another. <laughs> but I'm interested to see whatever however wild though takes i just yeah i don't think we've had an example so far in the story of like a human becoming an other where i'm like yeah this was good Uh, matthew's probably the closest i can think of but like i still don't feel like we have the full story there i I mean Mm. i think like uh, matthew becoming an other is just him like absorbing the doom which is kind of the the worst way to become an other really (laughs) like yep yeah well, exactly. Like he he did it because he had to. Yeah. From the sound, yeah, not because he wanted to. Yep. Um, whereas, like every other sort of human to other situations, there just all the others. Like none of them seem like they're happy. Nope. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Verona's had this beat that she's hit of like, if you look at every single adult, they don't seem happy. So I'm going to become another. But she hasn't really taken the next step of of thinking. Well, let's look at all the others and think: Do they seem happy? Which I feel like if she asked that question, would help her readjust her worldview a little bit. So that's too many steps to think. <laughs> yeah, we'll worry about that after we become another, I guess. Exactly. Well, she'll have all the time in the world. <laughs> I don't know if this is a prediction, but my hope for the story is becoming that the trio has some sort of redefinition of the relationship between practitioner and other, which seems like mutually parasitic right now so i don't think they're gonna like get systematic change going but at least paving the way for a new mutualistic one because practitioners seem like the the cops of this world and uh in in both ways Mm. uh, the others are also police the practitioners and so like with the current state of the world it feels Mm. like there could be uh a a story there around uh reform Hmm. yeah i agree it feels like so far in this story, it's been like a bit of an antagonistic relationship between practitioners and others. Um, and it seems like it's always been that way, right? Yeah, and then Kenneth is trying to be something different, um, or not even as trying to be like a an isolated a refuge. Community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah, is there a way to get these two groups to coexist in a, in a healthier way? For sure, I hope so. I mean, yeah, like I, I feel like I feel like that was something that started to come up a bit more in this arc the the idea of like how the fuck do we make can it work because we've missed gone and all these practitioners at the gates there started to be people being like how are we gonna do this <laughs> yeah, how does this work yeah <laughs> um, so i'm excited to yeah I, I agree like i feel like that's something that we'll have to address i mean admittedly they got put into the situation with the death of the carmine beast they didn't opt into it so this whole time they've been striving against the collapse that they've foreseen <laughs> yeah yeah it's a rough it's a very rough uh, patch for Kenneth, but it's interesting. Um, so one thing I've been really loving about this arc is just that we are finally like seeing practitioners like out in the in the world. Like, mm. 
You know, we're seeing different mm-hmm. types of ways that you can interact with the practice, like from uh, Zed and Raymond Sunshine, um, <laughs> you know, to like actually interesting people like that lady that summoned the big mouth thing that ate all of the creatures, that ate all of the hungry choir. Like that was cool. <laughs> it was so insane. It was so cool. Um, but like we're actually seeing like how else you can interact with it. And I, I just love that. I'm loving that so much. Yeah, I loved, um, was it Eloise? The girl with the centipede that could become tattoos. Oh, so oh, cool. Oh, God, why? So cool. That was so cool. I think I, I oh. posted about how much I loved that. <laughs> and I think about, like, three or four people put, like, little pleading face emojis because, yeah, that's, it's a mood. Oh, Dawn, <laughs> oh. I, I don't understand your reaction to this story, Dawn. The, how can you not? <laughs> you've gotten far enough in that we've seen some pretty disgusting things. <laughs> Uh, like what's wrong with the fungus face centipede it's so cool Mm. oh god ah why any other final thoughts about uh, arc 3 or pale in general before we start to wrap up it's fun cool I'm with you there (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we'll we'll wrap up here Uh, it's worth pointing out though that after we do our outro we will do a little bit of backed to packed discussion with Kipos uh, where we where we talk about some packed spoiler specific stuff um, but before we go there thanks for joining us Dawn and Kip it's been great to have you on the show yeah it's been wonderful being here for sure um, shout out to Twiwife Best Wife <laughs> and uh, we've got the Doof Plays crew over in Doof that uh, play all these fun games together yeah great. we've heard a lot about the Doof Discord today uh, just as a reminder folks <laughs> if you too want to become a member of the Doof Discord you can go to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and support the Doof Media Network for one dollar a month or more you'll get access to the Doof Media Discord where we do all these things that we've discussed yeah, like I, I think something Dawn just touched on that I don't think we we talk about enough. Like as we're sort of touching on the social side of things, um, like the the gaming stuff that we have going there, like sessions of all kinds of games. Um, like it's so, I mean, yeah, like it's just it's just really fun. It's a great group of people, and we all get together and we play video games uh, at times, and that's really fun. Um, you should come to the game club and vote to force Ruben and Elliot to play Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you get the right to do that if you become a patron. Um, you also get to vote in the fan art contest, which by the time this comes out, I promise uh, the vote will be live. <laughs> He's made an oath, folks. Get your full swearing ready. <laughs> um, Prediction hat on. Yes, you'll be able to find uh, the fan art contest votes on the Patreon as well. Uh, of course, you're not just getting it all the great perks. You also are supporting all the content on the Doof Media Network, all the other shows, um, all the great stuff that you can find on doofmedia.com. Like what you say should have just come out when this comes mm-hmm. out. and. Uh, uh, that's i think we've said it before and we'll say it the again best, best show, show on the network, network. Yep. absolutely um, best show <laughs> game club um <laughs> while you're on uh, patreon why don't you go to patreon.com forward slash wabo and uh give wabo some money as well or as we like to call it leaving through the coin um and yeah just support wabo yeah. for making this great story and i guess that means we've got to say goodbye to you dawn so that we don't spoil you yes um, it's been great having you on the <laughs> yes, show indeed and uh yeah, thanks thank for you for having on. me. It's been a blast. Yeah, awesome. Well, and thank you for making the show in the first place. See ya. Bye. All right. Well, now that <laughs> Dawn's gone, uh, we can start talk going back to packed. Um, so, Kipos, uh, what should we talk about? Is there anything here that you want to jump into that contains uh, or, or relates to packed spoilers? Yeah. So, like, I, I mentioned it like quickly above, but like. 
practitioners that aren't cis, like mm. non-binary practitioners or transgender um, practitioners, like I have had this thought of like, how cool would it be to have someone who who is non-binary or who isn't cis, like practicing? And what would that look like in this world where so much is tied up into like, so much is tied up into like gender because you've got like, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Pedrig, who, you know, first time meeting Blake is calling him Rose and using she, yeah. her pronouns for him. Yeah. And it's like, how does that work when you've got like, your identity is is baked so solidly into these, like, into this history, uh, into these historical things. Yeah. And that's because like, we learn so much in Pact about how like so many others think in in like in long history terms like they you know the modern world is like as a heartbeat to them and so these kinds of ideas about transgender people which aren't um quite well they're they're more known now than you know they have been in the past it's like Mm. how do you interact with that as a practitioner can you just like can you you know do a ritual um in in the sense of like mags and claim for yourself a new identity like, oh, yeah. I'm just fascinated. I love it. Yeah, or, or, is it, or is it even just intrinsic? Like when someone like Zed realizes they're trans and sort of has, you know, goes through the journey of, of sort of fully realizing that, then do, do they just sort of get to state the claim where, you know, they can swear an oath, like truthfully, like, you know, I am Zed, a yeah. man. And, and, then it, and then it just, and then, you know, the spirits are just sort of like, yep, checks out. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, we, we've looked into it. And it turns out you, you're true. And like, you know, I have a lot of issues with the spirits for the way they do things, but like, it's pretty cool of them if that's sort of how it works. Yeah, I mean, like, like I can hope that's how it works because that, I mean, yeah, like I can't even like describe like how validating that would be to someone like Zed to just, you know, to have an objective um, truth that aligns with yeah. what you're kind of coming to terms with about yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly, and just and to have that like so solidly reinforced by like the very workings of like the entire universe is like. Yeah yeah holy shit okay um yeah yeah definitely yeah (laughs) it's interesting because you know obviously pact was a lot more about identities i guess we could say like with the whole fact that blake and rose had this weird shared or split identity between them and then all the mags slash maggie holt stuff obviously identity was a lot more of a plot point in pact it seems like than it's going to be or is in pale but you're right it's it's fun to see other explorations of the questions of identity in this story um it's really just leading to a to a much fuller universe in a really cool way i think yeah like i yeah i really yeah i, I really really love it because you know um practitioners that weren't cis was was something that i have like been kind of on and off um thinking about like since since i finished reading pact um however many years ago like four years ago or something um and i remember Wildbow when Wildbo uh, was putting out calls for people to come play Mile End, which was his um, little packed dice game. Remember I submitted a non-binary practitioner because, well, not practitioner because that wasn't the setup, but a young non-binary person because I thought, like, you know, this is a really cool, like, concept. Like, this is an, an idea that wasn't mentioned in mm. Pact, like, ever. Like, mm. you know, moving out from that, from, you know, the gender binary and, you know, how does that, interact with the spirits and how does that interact with others and ah oh, you know it's it's so fascinating to me <laughs> yeah i i just love that that it's just a thing and like it's just this one like i, I suppose it's just like two lines you know from zed mm. or one line from chase where chase is being an absolute twat um <laughs> and then one line from zed where he notes that like 
you know, this is how I changed when I left that old personality behind. Um, where like, it's like, oh, okay, he's trans. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Come, come on, Chase. You're less progressive than the sport. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God, what a bar to fall under. God. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh, oh. Chase. Ugh. It's it's one of those things where it's like he's just written to be hated, but I hate him so much. It's it's nice (laughs) to have unambiguously shitty characters sometimes. (laughs) Just like, yeah, that person's just shitty. Like, you know, they're not. Yeah, like Verona's dad. I have these moments where it's more pity than anger, and and it's very conflicting. Whereas Chase is a bit easier. It's just like you're a piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely agree. Um, But yeah, it's that's kind of been like the biggest thing that I've kind of like. With, you know, um, packed knowledge going into it, that's been kind of the biggest thing that I've been like, whoa, holy shit. Mm. Um, yeah. That and, of course, like, as Dawn said, you know, oh, it's hilarious to go back and, and read uh, Marisica's, like, interview. It's like, no, that was hilarious the first time, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, oh, my God. Can actually, we, now that. Yeah. Can we touch yeah, on what Dawn, was saying? what Dawn was saying? Oh, my that, that God. Lawyers? <laughs> yeah. Demonology? Holy brought up shit. lawyers and demonology. I was like, whoa, fuck. What does, what does she know? <laughs> Yeah, like I like I'm pretty sure it's just because, you know, like the idea of this of the you know, the court of the of Sable uh and the yeah. others whose names I've forgotten. Um but yeah, lo- like to bring lawyers up, it's like, oh yeah, no, that that wouldn't mm, be yeah, interesting yeah. if oh, they were brought up packs. Mm. Oh <laughs> that, that's fascinating that one is. Oh my uh, god. I mean I think great stuff. I think the lawyers Dawn was thinking of would not be the lawyers <laughs> yes. that are in the story. Yeah. It's definitely a key just word. It's a oh, funny yes. coincidental word overlap, I think. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. actually, that's something that's worth diving into is the the terminology of, I've forgotten what they're called as well, but black, white, and gold as the um, judges, right? Which is obviously is, is yeah. a legal term that carries so many connotations if we're tying in pact knowledge as well, like tying them to this, like, you know, they seem to almost more be a kind of fundamental force where the pact lawyers were explicitly <laughs> a, a faction that had their own goals, right? Um, I just yeah. find that really interesting that we're kind of borrowing the the you know the legal nomenclature again. I mean, in, in general, Pacton Pale or Pale has existed in this space, which I I've loved how it's similar but distinct to mm. a, a lot of the big themes in Pacton. Mm. Um, and so the idea of exploring like these these judges and the way they operate um, like sits nicely beside the sorts of stuff Pact was talking about about like people and our role in the world. Yeah, and like Pact talked a lot about like challenging established established power bases and, and pale is doing the same sort of thing but in a different way yeah, yeah it's, it's so interesting um yeah having the two the two books side by side and yeah contrasting how they look at like like the themes of the book as they look at like power structures and you know interactions between like in groups and out groups like if you can you know if you think of like uh people of the blue heron institute they are an in group with themselves and so while they might be bloody horrible to each other and, you know, fight and try and ruin each other's lives, they will, like, band together to go for the outgroup, which is, you know... The Hungry Choir. The Hungry (laughs) Choir or, you know, whatever. Blake. Yeah. Uh, Blake, (laughs) yeah. Like, I think it's been been funny how different the practitioners look... From the other side, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, in Pact, they were a fucking mess. And you can see bits of it in Pale, but they feel much more like a united force in Pale. Whereas, like, Blake was sort of someone who, just by existing, was constantly challenging any unit <laughs> uh, anyone around Toronto had mm, as a practitioner. Yeah. Mm. Something 
that's interesting that's jumping out to me from this conversation is, you know, Pact was obviously, as you mentioned, Elliot, had this vibe of like, you know, the the established system is terrible and we need to we need to break it down and we need to reform it. But it never really went far enough into providing what an alternative is. I mean, we had like Johannes's domain, but that obviously had flaws. Um, <laughs> I think that was one of our discussion questions, wasn't right. it? Is like we sort of said, what what would you do to change the system? And, and I think Pale's yeah, tackling that a bit It's more. interesting yeah. that Pale is maybe, while Bo wrote a draft for that discussion question, then was like, oh, wait, I can turn this into a whole story. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is interesting to, to see Kennet as an example of what could a a kind of, I don't know, a commune of others that, that self-governed look like. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's... I, I just think that's such a fun question to be answering. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And like looking at these, at the relationships between, you know, the, the main three and the others, it's like, like it's mainly positive, but you can see that, that there's still those, those hints of that, you know, basically of the oppression that um, mm. practitioners have put on others since, you know, uh, Solomon um, or Suleiman, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, you, like there's still that memory there for so many of them. Um, and it's one of those things where all of the others have either been like directly like uh, targeted and subjugated or, you know, they know others that have been. And so how do you kind of like work back and move into a positive relationship between practitioners and others when you have mm. this enormous history of like violence and bloodshed and subjugation? Really? Yeah. 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 And so, so much, there's just so much, like, I guess prejudice is kind of the right word on both sides. Like, Oh, yeah. It seems like an uncrossable bridge, and maybe that's the role that the Kennedys have to play: is they can kind of be the the bridge. Um, yeah, I mean that would be like a wonderful and incredibly fascinating way for the story to go. You know, if you have mm. the the Kennedys interacting with people from the Blue Heron, and um, and then also interacting with others at home, and kind of showing to both green. of them, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. showing to both of them. You, no, you don't have to always like attack and you know subjugate these others and to the others like not every practitioner is going to try and bind you and turn you into a tool to be used yeah yeah of course that means uh, alexander has to die um so you know <laughs> we'll get get him out of the way first and then we can work on that oh i'm sure he'll be fine with any changes to the status quo <laughs> um is anything else that we want to touch on any other back to packed things that are worth discussing here uh, I think in, in the notes, um, Elliot mentioned that he wants to go back and read Pact with um, Pale in mind, and mm. like absolutely agree. Like, yeah, there's already so much more. Like, you know, and it's funny. Like, it was one of the things that um, Don brought up is like the like the fairy courts. It's like we never heard of those. <laughs> like, yeah, I think courts were mentioned in abstract, and we we saw them, but like we had no idea that there were these yeah. seven. I feel like it was lines, a bit of an right? extrapolation like, from what we saw in Pact for people to be like, oh, I think it's probably something like this, and and now we actually have some concrete information around that. It'll make some of these fairy things, or like um, when Sandra goes to the fairy world, you know, we we yeah. can color those a, a little bit more, which is quite nice. Yeah, like these kinds of things like absolutely will be fascinating going back to Pact and being like, okay, so now I have this extra little bit of like world building information from pale now mm. what are these goblins acting like that you know i where i know a bit more about goblins and all that. so yeah i think that'll be really fascinating to do yeah like i was already keen to reread the story at some point when we first finished it uh covering deep impact but like it's going to be an even better experience with pale 
under the belt as well. Yeah. So when you do deep in deep impact. <laughs> Oh, and I God. guess that's a good place to end. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us, Kipos. It's been great having you on the show. Uh, any yeah, other, I mean, thanks any for having final me. thoughts? Or yeah. yeah, come to the Discord. Use the What Runner emoji. It's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's the end of our show. Now we've already done the outro, which means it's time for this show to awkwardly end. Yay.